A local philanthropic gentleman is found slashed to death in the dead of night. The killer is suspected to be an unworldly hound, a dog larger than any earthly dog, fierce and fiery in appearance. However, one detective sets sights on finding the truth and exposing the cunning killer. That detective, Sherlock Holmes. The book, The Hound of the Baskervilles, and you're listening to Lit Society. Let's get it! Hey y'all, hey, this is Kari. And this is Alexis. And you're listening to Lit Society, a show about books and drama. Alexis, are you... <laughs> Alexis, um, can I ask a very personal question? Sure, why not? Are you a superstitious person? No. Of course not. Hmm. <laughs> I say of course because I know you and you know me and we don't believe in that. However, right. <laughs> I want to talk about ways that superstitions can creep into our life in this week's theme, the harmful effects of superstitious and group thinking. Ooh. I was inspired by this book to really uh, dive into the um, kind of like cunning way that superstitions creep into everyday life. Can you think of a few? Hmm. Uh, well, no, not right off. One thing that comes to mind to me is how some buildings won't have a 13th floor or uh, oh, planes yeah. won't sometimes have a 13th aisle or row and all of that. Um, goes back to the idea that the number 13 is superstitiously uh, troublesome and will lead to your demise. Um, This isn't something we believe in. However, um, yeah, I've been in a building in a sky rise that doesn't have a 13th floor. It's odd. Or sometimes uh, very tall hotels won't have a 13th floor because people don't want to stay there. Well, (laughs) in reality, though, there is a 13. You're just not labeling it 13. <laughs> so You're I... just counting wrong, which <laughs> bothers me more. OCD could be a form of superstition, not in the way that we think where um, someone is a- appealing to up maybe even spirits. This is a case of if I don't wash my hands 15 times and walk out the door, I won't feel comfortable leaving the house. Mm. Um, that too can be clumped into superstitious thinking. That's a little more tricky and there are more layers there. Um, but you know, you believe in things you don't understand and you suffer. Superstition right. is not the way. Um, mm. As said one poet. Stevie Wonder. Um, So Alexis, why do you think people accept superstitious thinking? And I'll lump group think in there. That's when everyone around you says the sky is purple and you just feel silly saying it's blue. You think it's blue, but everyone says it's purple. That's a little different than superstition, but both of it um, is like this uh, irrational thought that can... um, plant a seed so deeply in our minds that it becomes true to us. Uh, why mm. do you think people cling to superstitious and group thought? It helps them explain things they don't understand. And it's comfortable to be in group thought. You don't have to feel like an outsider. Right. I think really well put. Um, no one wants to be an outsider. Typically, we want to remain a part of the pact 
uh, pack right. and increase our chances of survival um, and happiness, right? Uh, being right. accepted by society. Um, there's also that feeling of control. Life is very uncontrollable. Things happen. So when people accept group thought or superstitious thinking, it helps them feel in control of their surroundings. If a new medicine comes out and most people are accepting this medicine, but you listen to a group of people who say that medicine is bad and everyone is being fooled and only you and I know the truth. That makes you feel like an insider into mm-hmm. some some type of um, it makes you feel as if you have control over your situation that, you know, something everyone else does not. Of course, however, this can be harmful because if we don't have those things that we're clinging to, uh, that red shirt to wear on our job interview, or we have to stay on the 13th floor of a hotel, that can get in our minds. And thought can be a very powerful thing because if we think something bad will happen, maybe we'll manifest something bad happening. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, you could think so hard about something that it happens to you. Or if, you know, life just happens, you'll blame it on that thing. Well, I would have never got in a car accident if I didn't, if I was wearing my red shirt. Um, So the key is to pay attention to how we think and why we think. Are our thoughts just influenced by the group thought or superstitious thinking? Or do we have actual reason, reason that we can trace and that is solid evidence for why we believe something? superstitious or not, if we notice our thinking is getting less and less rationalized and ways we can realize this is when we don't have solid evidence. And I don't just mean we heard from this source. I mean, solid, traceable evidence for what we believe. You know, maybe it's time to get professional help from a doctor or therapist and talk about why maybe I need to get professional help from a doctor or therapist and talk about why these little moments lead to long term actions. Okay, that's it. Anything you want to add? So I was thinking of some superstitions and that's like step on a crack, break your mother's back right. and mm-hmm. then a black cat crossing in your path. Mm-hmm. Um, those are just a couple of them that I thought of. Uh, and I but those think are things a, you've heard of, nothing you've ever believed. Oh, no, no. You you asked me if I remember, thought yeah. of any. That's, I finally came to that conclusion. <laughs> those are some of the superstitions that I've heard of. Yeah, breaking a mirror, walking under ladders, oh, stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, that kind of stuff. So that's pretty interesting. So I appreciate that information. Yeah. I'm going to try to run from group thought. I don't want to yeah, be saving for nothing like that. Mm-hmm. Okay, and on that note, let's take a break. Okay. And we're back. Alexis, can you give us some context on Sir Arthur Conan Doyle? Is that his name? (laughs) And perhaps his inspiration for Sherlock Holmes series, but specifically The Hound of the Baskervilles. Take it away, Alexis, please. Okay, so I want to tell you a lot about him, but I'm going to do it. I think I'm going to do it pretty fast. Anyway, let's go. (laughs) Sir Arthur Ignatius Conan Doyle was born in May of 1859 in Edinburgh, Scotland. He comes from an Irish Catholic family. His mom had a passion for books and was a master storyteller. His father was an alcoholic. Wealthy 
Dahl family, Dahl family uh, members actually paid for Conan to go to boarding school where he learned he had a talent for storytelling like his mom. Mm-hmm. He had a reputation for making up stories uh, and telling them to amuse his fellow students. While one would think Arthur Arthur went to, oh, that's a hard word. While one would think Arthur went to school to pursue his artistic career because of his talent, he did not. Instead, he went to medical school where Hmm. he met the creator of Peter Pan, James Barry, and our dear Robert Louis Stevenson, who wrote The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Medical school is also where he would meet the man who would be the inspiration for the Sherlock Holmes. His name was Dr. Joseph Bell. Bell was a a good doctor and a master of observation and logic, deduction and diagnosis. A couple years into his medical school studies, he decided to start writing. By 1881, he had earned a bachelor's degree in medicine, and the mastery of surgery. He married Louisa Hawkins in 1885, and he continued to write. He had a daughter, and in 1888, he published in Beaton's Annual Christmas Magazine, A Study of Scarlet. Have you heard of that book before, A Study of Scarlet, no. Mm -mm. Okay, that's where he first introduced, that's where he first introduced Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson. Of course, I've heard of it, actually. Yes. Okay. Okay. Very familiar. Do you know it by a different title? You know I do. So I was really, really, really into the BBC uh, version of Sherlock (laughs) Holmes starring that actor that I get confused with, um, you and McGregor and um, Cumberbatch. I don't know his (laughs) real name. Sorry, guys. (laughs) So um, I really love that series. And in that show, it's called The Study uh, in Pink. Okay, there you go. So by this time, (laughs) Conan had published several writings. Um, They weren't books. They were mostly short stories. But this book upped his popularity. It took him over the top. And so sometime later, Doyle had developed an inactive medical practice and he focused on writing during this time. And he was writing short stories that featured Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson for um, Strand magazine. However, after the birth of his son in 1893, he decided to get rid of Holmes in what was called the final problem and focused on what he considered to be finer works. Mm, I'm also familiar with that one. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think I've heard of that um, before, though, as a um, episode or something. OK, Martin Freeman. You guys, I know who he is. Okay. <laughs> Benedict Cumberbatch. Yeah. I didn't have to look it up. What are you talking about? Go ahead, Alexis. <laughs> You're In doing August great. <laughs> of 1901, The Hounds of Baskerville of the Baskervilles was published in the Strand um, magazine. Okay, this is years. This is years after he stopped writing. Mm. The inspiration came from his long stay at Devonshire. And there are moors there, which are these 
uncultivated lands with hills and nothing grows and it's wet and muddy. Kind of think of like Wuthering Heights, but what? Yes. Yep. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Exactly. So depressing. A lot of dark stories come out of these areas. People ain't mm-hmm. got nothing to do. It's dark. There are like sinkholes where you yep. could just be walking and you just ain't walking no more ever again. <laughs> it's a lot of fog. The food is disgusting, which you know if you visit England today. Um, so a lot of pickled stuff. Now you can't just be pickling every pickled fried chicken. What is y'all doing? <laughs> Okay, go ahead, Alexis. Okay, Excuse okay. me. And so he wrote this story. And as he wrote this story, he realized he didn't have a hero. So guess who he inserted? Well, welcome back, Sherlock Holmes. Wow. He was like, I'm not about to invent another character. I'm just going to use one I already have. So Smart. he inserted Sherlock Holmes. And instead of kind of resurrecting him, he just wrote it as a previously untold story. Yeah, he and, did the Batman thing where every Batman iteration is like the other Batmans never existed. <laughs> Batman be like, I was never in love. And we like, what about uh, ba- Basinger? In the, but that's okay. We'll roll with it. That's what, what he did. What about Vicky Bale? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and exactly. so he's like, hey, Sherlock. Hey, Watson. And we like, wait, but, but that's okay. That's fine. <laughs> In 1902, (laughs) he was knighted for war service. Mm -hmm. Rumor has it that he was knighted because the King um, King Edward VII was a fan of Sherlock Holmes and he wanted Doyle to keep writing. Ain't no rumor. That's why it happened. So he gave him this title. And who don't want to see their new title printed on a book? He was like, oh, I'm going to write something with this, sir. We doing a lot with this, sir. Give me a dame. I'm going to get serious about writing because you're going to hear from Dame Kari Herrera. Okay. The people must know. (laughs) Okay. Get into it. So then in 1903, he started another series, The Return of Sherlock Holmes. And that is the inspiration behind The Hound of the Baskervilles by Sir Colonel Arthur Doyle, and he died in July of 1930. Do you have anything you want to share about him? Yeah, there is a true story about the Hound of the Baskervilles that uh, he no doubt was privy to. And this is just the idea of a hound terrorizing an area. I don't know what makes a hound. Like when you stop being a dog and you start being a hound, you know, (laughs) (laughs) There are Stuff. animals that are called hounds. So dogs oh, they, that are blood they're not hounds. They're, yes, they are dogs. But oh, they're, no, we know about those. Sure. They're like uh, hunting hounds. We all know yes. about the cute little hounds at the airport. But I'm talking about these big, mastiff-sized hounds. Blood they, hounds. They're called blood hounds. Well, fine. You, so y'all don't know, but Alexis is a dog fanatic, so I ain't getting nowhere in this conversation. The point is, there was a hound terrorizing some sad, dark town that was forced to eat pickle fried chicken. And that's really sad. And that's a story. So Sir Arthur Conan Doyle heard about it and was inspired to write this, which was a series in The Strand, which I love the idea I hate the idea that you get paid by the word because then sometimes books get really long unnecessarily. Um, spoiler, I don't think this book suffered in that way. It was just 
released in increments in a newspaper. And that's kind of cool. Like you have something to look forward to in the paper mm-hmm. and it's good for the paper, uh, the strand. So, yeah, that's yep, the that's thing all. they don't do anymore. Right. We wouldn't know when the last time you got a paper. <laughs> I know. I used yeah. to, but I do used to remember clips to watch, read. Yeah, I had an interview at the, um, what's the one that ain't the Tribune, which is where I wanted to work. Oh, I'm saying a lot of things. <laughs> wait, wait. <laughs> this was a while ago, but I had an interview at the Sun-Times and I was looking around like, y'all, this ain't even going to be here next year. I didn't get the job. <laughs> they, they let me have a, a couple articles, which thank you. That was very nice of you guys. Uh, Let's move on to a brief spoiler-free synopsis. Alexis, tell us about this book without giving anything away. Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson investigate the deadly story of the beastly hound that stalks the heirs of the Baskerville estate. Kari, who do you think would enjoy reading this book? Yeah, if you love um, mysteries. Oh, have we read a good mystery? I don't yeah. mean like Agatha. Oh, maybe I do like Mrs. Marple. If you're into that, where there is um, a very smart investigator, smarter than everyone. But, you know, he's got some uh, he's got a foil, a main foil. And also he has little idiosyncrasies that are like comical. If you love that Columbo, I guess I never seen Columbo, but, you know, oh, wow. all those detectives. Uh, then you'll love this. And Alexis, what were your first thoughts of The Hound of the Baskervilles by Sir well, Arthur Cannon W? This is um, a book rack that I received some time ago from a friend that I hadn't seen in a really long time. So I was excited to dig into something that she was interested in. Um, I've never, I don't think I've ever read any of his works. Um, I don't remember, but I know. I have not. Um, Oh, really? But mm-hmm. I know of him. And I think I've seen maybe there were TV shows that I watched. Um, I am familiar with the Sherlock Holmes movies and with Robert Downey Jr., but I, I just don't think I've ever read any works. So I was interested in, in reading this um, book. Oh, yes. With Jew Law. I remember those. They were a little more campy. Um, then I appreciate I like the way the English do things. Mm-hmm. Um, they're really good at television because they're sad. Shout out to our <laughs> listeners in England. I like y'all art. It's very dark, very sad. I love it. Um, so anyway, um, oh, that reminds me, y'all, just a little footnote. I found library books at my house from Alexis. Oh. Now, if you listen to this show, you know Alexis does not return books to the library. I and do. that's scary because she loves the library. So she's there a lot. She goes maybe <laughs> twice a week. But she don't return any of the books because we don't have fees anymore. Thank you, uh, Lightfoot. This is what you get when you give people an inch. So I found books at my house from one of Alexis friends that a friend of hers asked to return. How many years ago, Alexis? It's been a while. It's been a while. So what I need y'all all to do is to write y'all congressman. Her name is Alexis Honoria. And we going to get her locked up because this is ridiculous. Don't and be on like that, that note, are you ready for a deep dive into The Hound of the Baskervilles? Yeah, let's jump into it. Alexis, the floor is yours. 
Part one, the curse. So our story begins with Watson and Holmes sitting at a breakfast table, and we learned that they had a visitor last night that they missed. The visitor left behind what appears to be a walking stick, and Holmes decides to test Watson's deduction abilities. Holmes tells Watson his deduction is erroneous and gives him instead his own rundown. The owner wait, of the wait, stick- can we just set this up a little more? It is so cute. So first they having breakfast and Watson is examining the stick. Now Watson is sitting behind Sherlock Holmes and Sherlock is like, what do you think of it? And Watson is like, Sherlock, you got eyes in the back of your head. So Watson is perpetually floored by his intelligent friend and everything Sherlock does. Watson is it's like me with Alexis. I'll be like, Alexis, you're so smart. How did you know I was looking at the stick? Do you have eyes in the back of your head? And Watson is like, no, but I have a very shiny coffee pot in front of me or teapot. Mm-hmm. So he saw Watson examining the stick um, through the teapot, right? Through the reflection. Right. And so, um, gen- you know, um, like a benevolent uh, genius, he goes, please, Watson, you tell me what you've deduced from looking at the stick. And Watson's like, oh, thank you. Um, I think that the holder of the stick belongs to a hunting club because there's CHH. And they presented it to him, the stick, in some like award ceremony or something. Um, He's retired. He's a doctor. He owns a dog. And Watson's like, oh, I'm intelligent. He's going on and on. And Holmes is like, I love it. More, more. Tell me more. And when Watson's done, Holmes is like, "Okay, you're wrong. But that was very cute for you. (laughs) And you made me laugh. (laughs) Now, let's get to what's really going on as I deduce facts from the stick. So, yeah, it's really cute. I'm not explaining it. Well, y'all got to read it. No, no, that that was very good. That's how it went down. And so when the... um, the owner of the stick walks in, we are introduced to a Dr. James Mortimer. And Dr. Mortimer presents the account of the origin story of the hounds of the Baskervilles from like 1742. And the story is from Hugo Baskerville um, to his two sons, Roger and John. And there's a special note to don't tell Elizabeth, the daughter. Mm-hmm. Okay, so here's the, the story. Hugo Baskerville, a wild, profane, and godless man, so the account goes, fell in love with the daughter of the a yeoman um, who owned land near the Baskerville estate. The woman avoided Hugo like the plague because of his reputation, okay? So one evening while Hugo was drinking with his no-good um, buddies, they went and snatched the woman up and while, while her father and her brother was away and they locked her in the Baskerville Hall. OK, mm-hmm. so she escaped for her life. And when Hugo found out, one of his friends said, you know what, send your little devil hound after her and get her. He was like, you know what, I'm going to send my house and I'm going to go after her, too. He goes after her. His friends eventually follow. And when they catch up with Hugo and the woman. They come across these hounds that are whimpering and then they see this huge black beast shaped like a hound and that's larger than any hound they've ever seen standing over Hugo Baskerville and tearing out his throat. 
(laughs) And the woman laid there dead next to Mm -hmm. him. The men quickly run away. They're horrified. As the story goes on, one of the men, it was like 11 of them. One of them died from shock that night where the other men were broken forever. So this tale has plagued the family and the family members have all come that have died, have come upon unhappy deaths. And it's believed that Hugo sold his soul to the devil for some supernatural involvement. And the story ended with a warning to not go cross the moors or don't go even to Baskerville Hall in the dark hours. The moors are outside Baskerville Hall, so don't go there and after hours. <laughs> so Holmes is like, okay, well, that's an interesting fairy tale. And the way it's told, it's just like, oh my God, what a scary story. And he's like, yeah, that was that was quite a fairy tale you told there. What does <laughs> yeah. this have to do with me? What do you want? And <laughs> Dr. Mortimer then tells Holmes, well, listen, there's a more recent story. I've got more details for you. So from the local paper of May of that year, and it's 1800 something, and he tells the story of the death of Sir Charles Baskerville. This is a descendant of Hugo. And Sir Charles lived at Baskerville Hall and he was trying to remodel it and make it great again. And Sir Charles actually died of shock after being chased down by a devil-like hound with big feet. Yeah, and and um, this latest Baskerville uh, generation was also uh, very philanthropic. So the town around the estate was benefiting from this gentleman living there. He would donate money to both causes and individuals. So when he died, everybody like, that's sad. Also, where are we going to get money now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was their thought. And so his death was sudden and unexpected. The heir of the hall is actually coming um, within a day or so. And Dr. Mortimer would like to know if he should take the heir to the home, given this this story, the history, and the devil-like hound hunting people down Mm -hmm. with the Baskerville name, that is. So Dr. Mortimer is like, you know, I kind of believe it, but I don't believe it. But the evidence shows I should believe it. So what should I do? And so yeah, so the hound only wants to kill Baskervilles. I just want to make that clear. Mm-hmm. Everyone else is safe except them rich people in the estate. Yeah. So he's like, do I take this man out here with all of this going on? The man's from America. He's a like down the line inheritor heir. And so inheritor. Anyway, he's an heir from America. (laughs) (laughs) And so, yeah, he's genuinely concerned. The doctor of like, should I expose him or will he die by the hound? And I'll just keep bringing heirs to die by the hound. You know, I want to do that. Only you can answer it for me, Sherlock. And Sherlock like, is this my job now? This (laughs) this can't be right. (laughs) It's like, so Holmes is like, listen, let me think about that for about 24 hours that I'll get back to you. (laughs) And so when he reconnects with Dr. Mortimer again, Dr. Mortimer tells him um, he has the air. Why don't you meet him? Come on and meet him. So 
the heir is Sir Henry Baskerville. And when Holmes meets Sir Henry, Henry tells Holmes that he received a message at his hotel room that said, as you value your life or your reason, keep away from the more. <laughs> With the word more, the only word written in ink. And Sir Henry also mentions that he's missing this boot, um, which everybody seemed to dismiss, of course, except Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> so, yeah, because Holmes- Sherlock's like, tell me anything strange that's happened to you lady, lately. And he's like, uh, well, I'm missing a shoe. <laughs> and um, Mortimer's like, shut up. That's stupid. <laughs> and Sherlock's like, no, 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 no. I said anything strange. So thank you for telling me. Holmes deduces that someone cut the message from a local newspaper. He actually reads the actual section that it was likely cut from. And then he sends a messenger to kind of look for missing um, news, all the newspaper from that day. So, yeah, so in the letter, like Alexis said, only Moore's is written and it's written in a pen that didn't have much ink. And Sherlock's like, if it was your pen, it would have ink. But you know what kind of pens don't never have enough ink? Hotel pens. So we know whoever sent this letter with letters cut out from the Times paper um, was in a hotel. So just go to all the hotels in the area and look for papers with cutouts in them in a trash can. Um, You go do it. Great. Yeah. And he sends some peon to go do it. Yeah, he sends them out to do that. And then um, in the, somewhere in there, Sir Henry comes to him irate because somebody that took another one of his shoes and he has had enough of it. So first they took a brand new shoe that he barely <laughs> got to wear. He didn't even get to wear it. Now they're taking his old shoes and they just taking one. They're not taking the pair. They just taking one shoe. And he's like, this is ridiculous. What kind of town is this that steal your shoe? Yeah. Yeah. So Holmes mm-hmm. decides he's going to take the Baskerville case. But then he quickly learns that when the hounds chased down Sir Charles, they were never close up on the body. But Dr. Mortimer did see the hounds big footprints off to the side somewhere. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. Holmes resolves to kind of focus not on the supernatural, but the facts of the case. And there are some facts to the case. So let's jump to part two. After Holmes decides to take the case, um, a couple of things happen. As I mentioned, Sir um, Henry had another book taken. He's mad about that. But while they're in the room, and the room had already been searched for the missing boot. There, He looks under the bed and the missing boot is found. This is the original, um, I've never worn this boot in my life boot that was found. Yeah, the first boot, which was yeah. new. We also learned that someone has been walking around impersonating Holmes. Um, and we learned that from a cab driver. I don't specifically remember how that came to be, but... A cab driver has taken somebody around and they said their names was Sherlock Holmes. Well, in Holmes' mind, these two factors completely eliminate the supernatural fact right off the top. Uh, Another thing, Holmes decides to send Watson with uh, Sir Henry and Dr. Mortimer back to Baskerville Hall. And Watson is to send regular updates with the facts only. 
Holmes says he can't go because he has another important case in town there in London and he has to focus on that. So Watson has to be his eyes and ears on the ground. Also, we learn who were recipients of the Baskerville wealth and they include distant cousins, uh, Dr. Mortimer and then the Baskerville housekeeper and butler who have been with the family for generations. Okay. Am I missing anything that they came up with, Kari? I don't think so, but uh, this book was very hard for me to follow. So we might remember some characters as we continue. Okay. Well, let's jump to part three. Now we're at Devonshire and Baskerville Hall. When we, when the three arrive at Devonshire, they notice there are police officers at the station looking for a recent prison escapee. Now, that's not what you want to walk up on, okay? Because he it's is a already a, a depressing area. Right. And so he's a murderer. He's been murdering folks and he doesn't let on the loose. And not only that, so you got the devil dog running around and a murderer on the loose. And this murderer, the only reason he he was never um, uh, convicted to death is because they thought his murders were just so grotesque and crazy that he must be insane. So they put him in a facility and now he out. The crazy, really grotesque murder. He ain't just a regular murder. He a crazy, grotesque one. Exactly. And so they're picked up at the station, the train station by the butler whose name is Barrymore. And Barrymore tells Sir Henry that when it's convenient, he and him and his wife going to leave because um, you, we tired. OK, <laughs> what happened to. Mr. Baskerville, that just sent us over the top and we just can't take it no more. It was such a shock. We was too close to him. And, you know, we're just going to go. We're going to start a business elsewhere with the inheritance that um, Sir Charles left us. And, you know, just find yeah, somebody. Baskerville left them like 500, mm-hmm. I don't know, uh, sovereigns or whatever their currency is. And he's like, welcome home. <laughs> but I'm leaving. Yeah. Anyway, Watson and Sir Henry um, overnight, they hear like a sound of a woman crying. And when Watson asked Barrymore, um, he's like, nobody hear it. <laughs> Watson was like, he, he, why he lies First of so all, you easy? answered too quickly. <laughs> Second of all, here come your wife with swollen red eyes. So exactly. you lying. You was immediately lying. So Watson... <laughs> Knows he's lying and he later meets a man named Mr. Stapleton who already knows who Watson is. He's like, hey, hi, my name is. I was like, I already know who you are. So what you doing here? What you want? <laughs> so Mr. Stapleton is like this naturalist. He used to own a school and um, he quit the school. That's the story on the street. He quit the school and now he's just out in the nature and chasing butterflies and whatnot. <laughs> Seriously, that's what he do with his time. He always got a butterfly net and he'll be in the middle of a conversation. He'll be like, oh, hold on. And he'll run off and chase a butterfly. It right. is odd. <laughs> and so um, Mr. Stapleton is like, I know who you are, but where is um, Holmes? I don't see him anywhere. And Watson is like, well, Holmes had another case. So, you know, he's busy. 
but I, I got this, so don't worry about it. So when Staple explains that the more about the Amores and how they're set up, he's like, I mastered it, but everybody else can't master it. I'm a naturalist, so I makes sense that I would. But I warn you to be careful while you out there, especially don't go out there at night. You could sink into something. There's some spots out there. Like and quicksand while almost. Yeah. And while they're talking, a horse, a horse gets swallowed up in the quicksand. And he like, and they just watch it like, uh-oh. <laughs> well, he should have knew where he was he going. He should have knew where he was going. Right, let's go chase butterflies. <laughs> and then they ha- that's happening. And Stapleton runs off and chases a butterfly. Mm-hmm. And then in walks Ms. Stapleton, who is introduced as Mr. Stapleton's sister. And she quickly gives Watson the warning, go back, go straight back to London instantly. <laughs> and he like, wait, what? Why? Why are you saying that? And she's like, I can't explain. Like you look, you a little too attractive to be this man's sister, but whatever. <laughs> like she all interesting looking. She got dark eyes and hair and, you know, she like, oh, please run away. And he like, wait a second, y'all related. Because this fool chasing butterflies don't look like your brother. But whatever. And so when Mr. Stapleton returns, he seems like less cordial to his sister. And she tells him, oh, yeah, I was just telling Sir Henry that uh, it's rather late in the year to be seeing the beauty of the Moors. (laughs) And she's like, "Um, I'm not Sir Henry. She's like, oh, oh. She embarrassed now, right? Because she done spoke out of turn. And Mr. Stapleton looks at her like, what you do? You look mm-hmm. like you done did something terrible. And <laughs> as they go their separate ways, Mrs. Miss St- Stapleton kind of chases down Watson and tells him to ignore her what she just said. No, she didn't just gave that warning and was like, oh, <laughs> I was just teasing just when kidding. I said that. Yeah. Yeah. He was like, wait, what? No, you're going to have to give me facts. And she's like... <laughs> No, um, yeah, no, I was just, here's the story. When Mr., when Sir Charles' death died, we were so close to him, it just cut us deep. And so we just, you know, just hate to see people dying and whatnot. (laughs) So much death in the world. Yeah, we don't like that. So that's Mm -hmm. all, that's all it meant. And so Watson was like, "Mm mm-hmm, okay. Uh, And then she said, you know, also the hound that's out there. He's like, yeah, but do you really believe that? She was like, it's a story. It's a story. (laughs) And so Watson is like, okay, well, have a nice day. So he really confused now. Mm -hmm. He really confused. So now let's jump to part four. Let's start talking about some of these reports that Sherlock Holmes is, um, excuse me, that uh, Watson is sending to Sherlock Holmes and some other things. Okay. so. In the first report that Watson sent to Holmes, he mentions a few things. He said, listen, there's a convict on the run who police continued to look for, but they haven't seen him. And locals believe he's fled the area since there's no way for him to get any food or water. Another thing, a relationship blooms between Miss Stapleton and Sir Henry. And Mr. Stapleton doesn't like the relationship. Another thing, Mm -hmm. Barrymore's behavior is suspect. 
Miss Barrymore is crying at night and Mr. Um, Barrymore is walking around at night sending signals to somebody. What is going on? And then there's a Sue Happy neighbor who uses his telescope to look out for escape convict, for the escape convict. But, you know, he's scoping the land out. So that's what's the, that's the lay of the land. Did I miss anything <laughs> in that first, first report, Kari? I don't think so. All right. Second report. One night, Sir Henry goes on a date with Miss Stapleton. Mr. Stapleton actually sees them and they about to kiss. And he was like, how dare you be with my <laughs> sister? I don't even like you. Get away from her. So and he's it's really sent, abrupt and odd. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And he sends Sir Henry away. And Sir Henry's like, dang, but I love her. So I don't, why is this happening? He seems so. And for real, Henry just got there. So I don't know how he found the time to fall in love with this woman, <laughs> but she really beautiful. So that's all he needs. So Sir Henry feels that like he tells Miss Stapleton that he loves her, but she'd be like, mm-hmm, that's cute. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's nice. I like you a little bit, but. You know, so it's just like a social thing for her. (laughs) And so Mr. Stapleton would later come back and apologize for his behavior. And then he invites um, Henry, Sir Henry over for dinner. Another thing, Watson and Sir Henry learned that Barrymore has been supporting the prison escapee. Giving them mm-hmm. food and clothes. And some of them clothes happen to be Sir Henry's clothes. And why is he even doing that? Because it's Mrs. Barrymore's nephew. And oh, I thought brother. Up. No, brother. His brother? That's her brother. Oh, I thought it was Yeah, that's his brother-in-law. Ooh. I think. Okay, well... <laughs> However, they're related, and that's they're the point. Related. So she yeah. has a, a a place. He has a place in her heart, and she wants to care. And that's kind of why she's crying at night because she's you know concerned about him. And that's a lot of things. They get in trouble for aiding an escaped convict, and that's just not a good look when you just inherited some money, right? Mm-hmm. So Watson and Sir Henry decide they're gonna capture him, but when they arrive at his hideout, he escapes, and Watson. While they out there, Watson's like, who is that man over there, over yonder, walking about? Who was that? Okay, mm-hmm. so noted. All right, here's some other things. Watson learns from Barrymore that Sir Charles went out to meet someone on the night of his death and that his wife. No. Oh, right. Barrymore's wife discovered a charred letter telling Sir Charles to meet L.L. Who was L.L.? Well, Watson is going to learn that L.L. is Laura Lyons. And she, although in a difficult position, she had been abandoned by both her husband and her father. And Mr. Stapleton and Sir Charles were giving her money. On the side. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, she married an artist, which is just, of course, going to be a doomed marriage uh, in this time. And the dad had told her not to marry him. So when the marriage went bad, she didn't have a husband or a father and really no way of surviving. Yeah. But thankfully, this philanthropic estate owner was giving her money directly. Yeah. So she admits to writing a letter um, to meet up 
with uh, Sir Charles. She admits under pressure um, from Watson and she further tells Watson that it was Stapleton who suggested that she reach out to Sir Charles and then not meet him. So there was an appointment the night that Sir Charles died to meet up with this Laura Lyons and she backed out. And so he was out in the field by himself. Hmm. That sounds suspect, don't it? Okay. Anyway. Mm -hmm. So Watson also learns that the convict also saw some tall, dark man off in the yonder. And he's like, hmm. He too wonders who that is. He think it probably the police. But anyway. While Watson is having tea with the man who likes to sue and use the telescope, through the telescope, he sees a little boy being real cautious and looking about. And so he tells Watson about it. And Watson's like, oh, okay, cool. But as soon as they separate, Watson decides to follow him, thinking he'll nab the convict. Um, and instead, he comes face to face with who, Kari? Sherlock Holmes. So <laughs> Sherlock Holmes is like, don't worry. All them letters you've been writing me, I've had them forwarded. So I've read your little letters. They cute. Also, <laughs> I've been secretly following you. So we didn't talk about it. But remember that cab driver or the cab, the person that got in the cab back in London? Sherlock went to the cab driver to try to find out who the passenger was. And the cab driver said the passenger was who? Sherlock Holmes. And Sherlock's right. like, oh, they own to me because they're using my name as right. like a little clue that they know I'm following them. So he sent Watson to the Moors and then secretly followed so that whoever knows he's on his tail would be thrown off. Right. And so Sherlock is like, I've been here all along. I've been seeing everything. Let me tell you what's going on. Exactly. Part five, Holmes and the conclusion. So as Kari said, Holmes tells Watson, his plan was to deceive his enemies and keep them off his trail. So he even tells him that he has Watson's updates forwarded to him and they weren't in vain because Watson was a little hot. He was like, how dare you have me put all that thought into a, a letter? I mean, I was sending them pretty regularly and, and you wasn't yeah. reading them. He was like, mm -hmm. man, I read your stuff. <laughs> so what we learned from Holmes' investigation is that the Stapletons, guess what, y'all? Are married. So the really yeah, funny looking naturalist now. and the beautiful woman masquerading as brother and sister are actually a couple. Number two, Stapleton used, used, I tell you, Laura Lyons to set up Sir Charles. And they go to her and tell her that Stapleton is married. And she's devastated because Stapleton was like, we could get married when you get divorced from your husband. But he was really just <laughs> using her. So while Holmes and Watson are out investigating and whatnot and doing the investigating stuff, they hear a scream and they think, look, Sir Charles is dead. Watson, why you leave your post? <laughs> you just nosy. What's going on? So they go <laughs> and they find out, find Sir Henry dead. But it turns out it's not Sir Henry. It's actually the convict, the escaped mm -hmm. convict murderer. 
they believe that the hound has sniffed out Sir Henry's boot. And of course, based on smells, thought that the convict was Sir Henry and he had Sir Henry's clothes on. So he chased him and killed him. But there's no indication that he ate his throat like other stories were said, right, Karen? Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. So as they discuss in the death, Stapleton walks up and he was like, oh no, Sir Henry is dead. And they was like, oh, <laughs> no, that's not Sir Henry. That's that convict that was escaped. He's like, oh, oh. Um, <laughs> they was yeah, like, and why'd you think it was yeah. Sir Henry, sir? <laughs> oh, oh yeah. Oh, because I had had, um, what had happened was I had invited him by my house and right. So that's why he's over here. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. So now Holmes is like, we need to set up Mr. Stapleton because he is the killer. Essentially. He's the one causing all this havoc. So they send Sir Henry to Stapleton's home for dinner and tell Sir Henry to tell Stapleton that they went back to London. He's like, okay. They also (laughs) tell Sir Henry, we want you to walk across the moor after dinner alone in the dark. He's like, wait, what? I'm not sure I want to do that. But he's like, okay, okay, I'll, I'll do it. So Sir Henry is nervous, but he doesn't. And Holmes and Watson... All right, set themselves up in a position to kind of watch him at the Stapleton home. And, and they're really hoping that Sir Henry will leave before the fog sets in and then you won't be able to see anything. They won't be able to protect him and whatever. They just trying to get it done um, before the fog sets in. And as their plan goes into the auction action, the fog is coming through and Sir Henry um, leaves, they can hear the sound of the hound before they actually see him. And they can hear Sir Henry running and the hound beast after him. Just as mm-hmm. the hound goes for Sir Henry's um, Holmes shoots the animal like six times. And so well, first he shoots him once and the hound is like, what that's supposed to do and really attack him. Uh-huh. <laughs> it really goes in and then yeah. Holmes shoots him like five more times and then the home the hound drops dead. And they discover that the beast is a bloodhound mastiff mix, which are two big dogs, and it was actually covered in phosphorus to make it glow. And that mm-hmm. is why it would be um really scary looking coming through those that fog in those um, lands. Yeah, a large glowing beast in the fog. And that's mm-hmm. why people were like, oh, it's from the devil. Yeah. So here are the facts. Stapleton was a Baskerville and that is why he was trying to get the money. He was actually the son of Roger Baskerville, the younger brother of Sir Charles, who uh, we didn't go into this, but he fled to South America He wanted his money. He wanted his portion of the inheritance, but people really didn't know he existed. So it's not possible. He didn't keep the dog at his home and um, he kept it off in some little other area within the moors that is kind of protected because they kind of set him and Mrs. Stapleton actually set up sticks so that they could uh, make their way through so as not to cause injury to themselves and still mm-hmm. have this little hideaway. Um, Miss Stapleton 
the day after they shoot the dog takes. Well, actually, she had been um, bound and gagged by her husband because she was cutting up and he didn't like Mm -hmm. it. So when Holmes and Watson get to her, they unbound her and ungag her. And the next day she takes him to that area where Mr. Stapleton keeps the dog and they look for him, but they don't see him. And they just assume that he's been sucked up into the quicksand. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when they, the, the dog, as I mentioned, was covered in phosphorus, which was why it was scary enough to give Sir Charles a heart attack. And again, he was set up by um, Stapleton and Laura Lyons, who didn't know she was playing part in a dirty game. And Mm -hmm. that's the story. Let's take a quick break. All right, let's do it. Final verdict, and would you recommend this book? Uh, so you have sometimes said that you hate books with too many characters, and this book had a lot of characters. Um, all of them served a purpose, but it was really hard for me to follow. I don't know if it was the pattern of speaking. So I listened to this book and I had to uh, put it down and grab a physical copy, which was much easier to understand, oddly enough. So the audio version, I was just not following. Um, Yeah, stuff was picked up and put down, Uh, but all of it made sense in the end. Like, for example, the murderer being on the loose, uh, that is something that is supposed to make the reader, I assume, feel uneasy in this dark, foggy, uh, strange land. Now we have a murderer, but that murderer also does serve a purpose at the end of the book. That's who... um, is wearing Henry's clothes. So that's why the dog thought it was one of the Baskervilles. But anyway, all of that to say, I think I liked it, but I didn't know what I was reading. (laughs) I was confusion. So I need to read it again. I will say I really enjoyed the little vignettes throughout the book. Like in the beginning, um, Holmes and Watson's interaction, I really enjoyed. I love the way Watson thinks internally about people. And so there there was a lot of enjoyment just in the little parts of the book. But the sum of it, the whole, I didn't really get. And at the end, when it was over and he like was unveiling or um, unfolding the case, I was like, okay, I wasn't invested in (laughs) finding the murderer and stuff. So I think I liked it. I don't know. I definitely want to read more from Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. And I want to read more Sherlock Holmes books. Um, I do. But this one, I just didn't really grasp. What about, and would I recommend it? Sure. Like, it won't hurt you to read it. Uh-huh. And maybe you can explain it to me. So I'm going <laughs> to recommend it to a lot of people and ask them, well, now, what did you get out of what you read? And go, mm-hmm, yes, yes, me too. So anyway, Alexis, what did you think of this book? And would you recommend it? What's your final verdict? So i listen to this book and I was on the edge of my seat listening to it. Um, It actually puts me in the mind of Agatha Christie's works um, Mm -hmm. right away because of the way um, Holmes keeps information to himself and he has the sidekick thing. Right. And um, I did follow it 
pretty well. There are like so many versions of this in audiobook land. Um, and I, I feel like I had a pretty good one. It was easy to follow. And I feel like the good thing about the difference between Agatha Christie and this book is that there aren't a lot of characters. And I love that. Oh, okay. okay. Not a lot of characters, not a lot of potentials for um, to be accused of the murder or whatever the event may be. And um, so I, I enjoyed the book. I would definitely recommend the book and read it again. And other books um, from the Sherlock's home, Sherlock Holmes catalog. Can you give us the information of the audiobook you listened to? Mine was free on Audible, by the way, and I'll pull up that information. Um, but which version did you did you hear? Okay, I got mine's from Libby. So like I said, mine was free on Audible and it's narrated by Derek Jacoby, who does a wonderful job. But um, I would like a full cast version. Did yours have multiple readers? No, it was just one reader. Okay. All right. And I got a lot on my mind, so I'm just slow these days. Y'all going to understand right away. Yeah, I can't uh, find you the read author it. name. I can't find the author name. All right. No worries. Well, thank you for this, Alexis. What are we reading next week? Crazy Rich Asians by Kevin Kwan. This is my uh, mental vacation book. When I need a mental vacation, I pick up one of the Crazy Rich Asian books. Really any of them. I've read them all and they are just so, um, ooh, what's the word? Oh, escapism. <laughs> yes, they are so, such escapism literature. Anyway, thank you for listening to this episode of Lit Society. We'll see you next Thursday. Lit Society is brought to you by Alexis Honoria and Kari Herrera. Support the cause by leaving a five-star review for our show on Apple Podcasts along with a comment about why you absolutely love us. We love, we love you, you too. too. If you've enjoyed what you've just heard, tell a friend about Lit Society. Visit LitSocietyPod.com for show notes, this month's book list, and to sign up for our amazing email newsletter. Please also remember to leave us five stars on Spotify. And until next time, you guys, read, read something. something.